Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Using science to debunk myths from the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Sky Dragon Slaying, where we bring you the truth on science and current affairs. The mainstream would rather you didn't know. I'm John O'Sullivan, CEO of Principia Scientific International. As usual, joining me is Canadian astrophysicist Joe Posma. Now, those of us who are awake to the lies and misrepresentations of the mainstream media, we understand that they employ subtle use of language in their propaganda. And uh, helping us today to do a deep dive on the techniques and skullduggery in play is Danny Katz. Uh, Danny is the author of The Language of Betterarchy, a blueprint for uniting against tyranny. She holds a master's degree in journalism. Her new book challenges the fakery and fiction, propping up victim culture, identity politics, as well as the gender divide. Um, Danny works as a transformational coach and quantum languaging consultant in northern New Mexico. She's getting a lot of traction uh, with her take on this growing misinformation problem, as proven by her hundreds of articles in LA Weekly, Los Angeles Times, Vice, Teen Vogue, LA Yoga, Santa Fe Reporter and more. Hi, Danny. How are you? I'm well, John. How are you? Very well. Yeah, you're up, you're up, you're up today bright and early. I really appreciate you getting up early. Six, I think 6 a.m. where you are? Uh, it's 7 a.m. here. 7 so a.m., not so bad. You'll yeah. see the sun coming up as we speak. <laughs> oh, lovely. Um, Danny, uh, first of all, um, I'm a bit intrigued by the, um, the title of your book, The Language of Betterarchy. What, what is betterarchy? So better, betterarchy is a placeholder for whatever the up up-leveled iteration of hierarchy will be. I I actually spent about two or three months um, diving into Latin dictionaries, prefixes, suffixes to come up with the just right iteration. Synarchy had been weaponized by the Nazi party. Panarchy didn't feel quite right. So ultimately I felt like I'd, I was like swimming way in deep waters trying to come up with this new word and i was like i'll just call it betterarchy and whatever it actually is will present itself to us as we move into it the basic gist is that it's time for us to evolve out of hierarchy yeah as a journalist you know you you you're like us you know you're working in the media you're pretty much aware that language is is very powerful and uh, you, you also have a good view of the fact that uh, conspiracy theories, that they're actually quite often true, aren't they? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I picked up on uh, one of your videos where you, you actually said you would not watch the latest Obama film on Netflix. You said you, you actually, actually avoid that kind of propaganda altogether. That's very interesting. I do. Well, a big part of propaganda, especially the stuff that they're running these days, is to um, lay the groundwork for really horrific uh, unfoldings, you know, really apocalyptic narratives. And once the subconscious mind knows that something is possible, that something exists, it's infinitely more likely that we're going to manifest those circumstances. A lot of what's going on is not just a war of words, but it's a war of attention. So when we place our sacred attention on their propaganda, on their manipulation, we're giving life and empowering 
these scenarios. So one way that we can push back against what they're attempting to create is to not give it our attention. Yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult to know, you know, which uh, things are pure propaganda and which are actually worth looking at. I mean, I, I did watch the film, uh, Leave the World Behind, and because uh, I was intrigued, I was intrigued by, it. you know, I thought, well, what what will the Obamas be pitching to us? And uh, on the surface, it's you know, a very well made film and uh, very well acted. You know, it's quite compelling, and you know. Again, anybody without any insight would would find it another interesting Hollywood film. But uh, interestingly enough, it's portraying a dooms a doomsday narrative that again subtly is telling you that the the enemy is always further away. It's not within, is it? The enemy is always like the Arabs or the Chinese. It's never within America. It's never the elite, is it? It's never the billionaire class. It's always somebody foreign. Of course. And it's no accident that the Obamas got this Netflix deal soon after he passed the Smith Modernization Act, which made it legal for the government to propagandize its own people. So um, one of the other things that I do is I teach uh, homeschoolers about propaganda and media literacy, and we use Netflix as an example. And I let them know, I'm like, make it like, where's Waldo? Like, it's fine if you're going to watch something on Netflix, but know that there's going to be propaganda there and just make it a game to find it. I'm, I also heard about this, like, subtle baiting um, of the race wars that they're trying to instill and, and like, the kind of forced contrived racism that they shove into all of the modern day media, I find very offensive. It's very hard for me to stomach. Yeah, it's very interesting because you're identifying the idea it's a, a, that strategy is divide and conquer, isn't it? As you say, it's a, you, we choose a side, don't we? we? We identify with a group and then we defend that group. Uh, we become very tribal, you know, be it gender, you know, be it race, be it even age, you know, age and you know, social status has always been the usual um, way of beating each other, isn't it? The social hierarchy here in the UK. We've always had the class system and people kind of accept that, you know, you don't mix with your people outside your peer group. Um, you know, it's so uh, convoluted now, isn't it? We're all put into our own special little bubbles, aren't we? Our thought bubbles and where we live and where we think and uh, our little community prevents us from ever engaging in the ideas of other people. So again, you know, on the one hand, I agree with you that, uh, you know, we need to be aware of the pure propaganda, but um uh, there's always somebody out there who you think you may be able to have an engaging conversation with. And, and, and that is the challenge, isn't it? Knowing who you can engage with and who you can't. I think it has been, especially in the past few years, and it's been incredibly divisive in that way. And for us to move forward and course correct and, and safeguard humanity requires us to come together and move beyond these engineered divisions. So I think right now, you know, high priority task for 2024 is for us to move beyond those engineered divisions and to hone in on our Venn diagram of crossover meaning our shared humanity. We all laugh, we all love, we all cry, we all lose, we all orgasm, we all do, you know, there's more that we 
have in common than we don't. So I think it's incumbent upon those of us who understand what's going on to rise above the perceived divide and to hone in on what we have in common, what our shared values are, and to expand those in our dynamics so that we can heal this because they want us separated. And the more separated we are, the more traction the social engineers get in dividing us and pushing their globalist agenda forward. Yeah, one of the things I like, um, I mean, I came to the big conspiracy theory issue 15 years or so ago. And um, again, I came from a very left wing uh, background. I, I kind of abandoned my initial beliefs and uh, I have become friendly with a lot more people on the right. And I'm realizing this right left narrative is a kind of a, a false narrative. It's as you say, it's uh, finding common ground, things that we can all say that are valuable to us. I mean, I. I'm a great believer in family, you know, family and uh, traditional things. And I suppose that makes me somewhat conservative. But um, over here in the UK, I, I've been an advocate for our National Health Service, you know, and I do believe in a certain amount of social justice. So, again, we're all on that spectrum, aren't we, of one extreme or the other. And uh, just give us an idea. Who would you identify as being your most natural audience? Who, who Who's more, more inclined to come to your work and, and agree with you? And who do you find harder to persuade? Well, of, I find it hardest to persuade people who are under mind control, people who have bought into the indoctrination, the division, who are shaming, who are blaming, who are holding tight to identities. Um, the language of betterarchy, I worked very hard on this book so that it would transcend perceived identification, ideological um, allegiances. I really want the distance so that everyone could embrace this work. It's, you know, whether left, right, um, progressive, conservative, these labels are doing us a disservice. You know, when we die and anthropologists dig up our bones thousands of years from now, they're not going to say, oh, look, we found a Republican. They're going to say we found a man or a woman. And so again, deferring to our shared humanity and allowing preferences to be preferences, voting patterns to be voting patterns, but to not identify with these things, because when we create identities, that creates separation. And these are all illusions. We are a singular global species of earthlings who want to live on a planet of abundance, of peace, of unity, you know, and, and these things that have become such a big deal are abstractions that are really meaningless in the grand scheme of things. So whether left, right, conservative, progressive, I am encouraging all of us to let go of those monikers and those identifiers and to live into our shared humanity as a means of course correcting and creating a way better game because this one is not serving us. So yeah. in your in your book, the language of, pa of patriarchy, Danny. Nice to meet you. Um, the language right. of betterarchy. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was going to ask actually about. Uh, yeah, that's where I was going. Um, yeah. So you you dismantle the myth of patriarchy, right? So yes. of course, patriarchy is one of those narratives, especially you know from the feminist side and the, and uh, you know the leftist side, you know, blaming everything on men and the patriarchy. So could, could you tell us, uh, you know, what did you find about uh, find out about that, or what's your opinion on on the so-called patriar patriarchy? Yeah, that's a great question. And um, it's actually the inquiry that inspired the whole book because I was watching after the Me Too movement 
women and people who were aligning themselves with women being um, incredibly dehumanizing and abusive towards men. And I, I was just struck by like, wow, none of this has anything to do with the capital F feminine. So in a lot of the spiritual circles that I was running with at the time, there's this talk of the return of the divine feminine. Um, from my perspective, that doesn't have anything to do with women in charge. Um, it might organically lead to that, it might not. But for me, it comes down to the fundamental energetics that create this third dimensional reality. If we go back to the hermetic principle of polarity, right? If you plug an extension cord into the wall, the plug is masculine the um, holes in the wall are feminine, right? These are the energetics um, from which everything in this realm emerges. So when we talk about the return of the divine feminine, capital F feminine, not meaning women, meaning um, inclusivity, meaning um, ceasing to demonize emotion and intuition, right? These energetics. So from my perspective, patriarchy is a lens of perception. It's a way of making meaning and perceiving our reality. So, you know, second wave, third wave, fourth wave feminism, their whole movements are driven by masculine ways of being, especially fourth wave, kill all men, smash the patriarchy. These are masculine shadows. And again, we all men and women have masculine feminine qualities in us so to me the return of the divine feminine is um the rebalancing of feminine energetics with masculine energetics so the masculine divides shames blames attacks right the feminine includes open our arms wider looks for win-win solutions for the greatest good of all the quote-unquote you know women like look at hillary clinton when she was running for office she wasn't leading with the feminine we came we saw we killed that's masculine that's a masculine way of doing and again none of this is to shame the masculine it's just to point out that we have an imbalance of masculine feminine inner energetics in this culture and we have been using a language that doubles down on the masculine shadows while demonizing the feminine so if we really want to rebalance the masculine feminine it's time for us to attune to where we are meeting the world with a primarily masculine energetic and where can we start to bring in the feminine which empowers includes um is concerned for the well-being of all leads with peace leads with diplomacy you know debate itself being a masculine construct who can win who can barrel over the other side and prove that their ideas are right a more feminine way would be showing active listening showing an attunement to all of the parties involved listening to everyone's input and then determining from there what are our solutions that serve the greatest good of all so you're talking a lot about uh gender and obviously that uh, you know meaning meaning sex you're talking about masculine and feminine so what's your take then on this uh this recent movement that gender isn't a real biological fact at all that it's actually a product just a social construct and probably they would blame it on the patriarchy the idea that there's boys and girls uh so uh what i mean what's your take on 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 this 
recent movement going on? My take is that it's an intelligence test probably coming out of Tavistock to see how stupid humanity has become and what sort of ridiculousness we're going to be entrained or indoctrinated to embrace. The whole thing is so silly. Um, it's very hard for me to take the conversation seriously. Right. Now, you mentioned uh, Hermeticism. So uh, are you a student of Hermeticism? What can you tell us about that? That's uh, quite interesting for you to bring that up. Um, well, I use Hermeticism. I mean, I, I am a, I'm, I'm a generalist, right? So I'm kind of a student of everything. But I, I bring it up because I've noticed the most pushback that this current book is receiving is around this conflation of masculine, feminine, energetic polarities with embodied gender. And I've done a couple events and the under 30 crowd will get their panties in a big fat bunch because they can't hear masculine feminine without thinking man, woman. So that's why I continue to refer to the hermetic principle because it seems to be the oldest established doctrine that differentiates masculine, feminine energetics in this realm um, in a way that I hope people can hear without confusing it with men and women. Just um, going to take a short break now. This is TNT Radio. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg. 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal uh, 49 days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227 more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re-strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which which is to destroy Hamas. I think it's a mistake. Steve Malzberg on TNT Radio. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Well, during the uh, the break, uh, we just uh, saying that uh, we're interested in uh, the languages used, the divide and conquer strategy. And uh, one thing that really upsets you, Danny, is the term anti-Semitism, which is something I, I, I've been involved in this issue. The, the, the big talking point today, obviously, is the war in Gaza and the amount of hatred, the amount of vitriol, um, you know, pretty much from every side is, is kind of definitely serving to divide us all. So what is your take on this? What is your take on the whole thing? 
Um, my take is that it is a giant psyop. Um, if we go back into history, Tavistock um, and the ADL were very much in bed together at the beginning of the 20th century in training young children in Jewish schools to um, embrace the victim narrative by indoctrinating them to believe that the world hated them and that they would never get a fair shot. And so I see this as just kind of another, um, like an, an evolution isn't the right word, right? But they've been pushing this for a while. Um, and it's a way of shutting down intelligent discourse. But I also see it as um, a way to grab freedom of speech here in the States. Um, you know, we've seen this for a while. Any sort of critique of what George Soros is doing out in the world, the mainstream media will jump on it as anti-Semitic, even though no one's talking about his religion, his cultural identity. I mean, he has said publicly that when he was working with the Nazis as a teenager, taking the possessions of Jews in, I, I believe it was Hungary, that those were the happiest years of his life and he wouldn't have done it differently. So it's very odd that the media conflates criticism with George Soros's work in the world with anti-Semitism. I feel like that word has been incredibly abused. So most of what is being deemed anti-Semitism has nothing to do with disliking Jews or Judaism. The conflation of um, criticizing Israeli politics and policies in the states around Israel with anti-Semitism, it's an abuse of the word. Um, and it's just a way to shut us up. And, you know, it, I think it was a couple weeks ago where our Congress got together and decided, you know, anti-Zionism -Zion is now part of the de definition of anti-Semitism. And it's like, have we elected you? Are we paying your salaries so you could meet and determine new definitions? Like, it's all absurd. And beyond that, even if they were using the phrase correctly, people are allowed to not like Jews. Like, that's okay. This forced sanitization of our culture is creating a backlash, and it's making it more violent because people aren't allowed to believe what, what they believe, voice dissent. Um, speak truthfully and honestly and it's creating um like a tinderbox here in terms of what we're not allowed to say were we to buy into you know attempts to control our speech well do you think it's connecting to this whole victim culture mindset i mean especially in academia my gosh it's just everything is about the goal is to be a victim i mean if you can figure out how to be a victim that is like the the golden ticket you you are that, that's what makes you a real person you have no true humanity you're not a real person unless you can uh, identify as as a victim so i mean maybe there's a connection there what can you say about victim culture oh a thousand percent they're inextricably bound victim culture is the biggest sham that the social engineers have pulled on humanity because they've convinced people that there's value in victimhood that there's value in being disempowered and in whining about how small and contracted one's life is and the reason that they do this is to chip it to chip it away at our, our own 
empowerment and at our own sovereign agency. So by indoctrinating, you know, however many generations of people into believing the fiction that there's value in victimhood, now we have a completely disempowered populace who has been entrained to not take responsibility for their own lives and their own world. And from that vantage point, no one is going to be resourced to make change for themselves or for society at large. So the bummer of victim consciousness, um, and, and it's the same with this outdated hierarchical language that we're using, is that we are oppressing ourselves. It's, it's rather brilliant in the way that the social engineers have set it up, that we hold the keys to our own cages. And the more that we double down on victimhood, the less power and energy we have available to change our lives and our world for the better. It's a total trap. There is zero value in victimhood. There is no such thing as an empowered victim. It's a religion, isn't it? Actually, it's becoming a religion and, and it's a religion of control, isn't it? To allow. Oh, control, absolutely. Right? It's a hundred percent. It's a cult, you know, just like the climate cult, just like the fovid cult. It's just another cult. <laughs> Well, what do you think yeah, about well, climate? Sorry, John. Yeah, <laughs> let's get you to, yeah, I mean, yeah, have you looked much one. into that? I mean, yeah, that's a big thing for, for John and I, obviously, that's where shame. we got our start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the shame. Yeah, I mean, I love that part of your intro. Yeah, I mean, the way that, you know, I mean, we know it's coming out of Club of, Club of Rome. We know it's the, the main crisis that they need to lock down the whole planet. Um, the way that the science is run is like, you know, quintessential propaganda cherry picking. Um, we're carbon-based beings, you know, to, to create these these carbon restrictions and carbon taxes is all a scam. The whole, like, of carbon, I believe right? in science. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole thing is a sham. And it's interesting how well the indoctrination has worked, because I remember when I was first speaking out about the Fovid sham, and, you know, people who were buying into some of the larger narratives would say like, okay, but you still believe in climate crisis, right? It was like oh, the no. litmus for them to still <laughs> entertain me as a sane person. It's, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah. It's something that we found uh, over the last 13 or 14 years. We we work at Principia Scientific International, and uh, we've been on the climate narrative all that time. And uh, again, we we're always told what what other conspiracy theories do you believe in? And uh, again, it, the more you believe in, the more crazy you are. It's, it kind of ties in with what you say. They're looking for redemption. At least give us something that you, you comply with the mainstream. It's almost... Uh, you know, like an apology for for for, for three for free thought. You know, so again, you you are valid, validating what we're saying. Yeah, a hundred percent. One of so, I mean, as you can guess, I not only write about how language programs reality, but I also teach about propaganda. And um, one of the things that I've noticed is um, if someone acknowledges a narrative that doesn't go along with consensus, you know, propaganda reality they will immediately like jump to demonizing flat earthers. So like I've seen this so consistently in the alternative media space, like, okay, well, the climate change narrative might be a scam, but at least we're not those crazy flat earthers. Like they have to fold it in to kind of separate themselves and continue to demonize the people who are questioning, 
consensus reality. And what I find most frustrating as a journalist who's been on the you know conspiracy tip for over 20 years is how the people who like to demonize us as conspiracy theorists have done no research into what we're talking about. I, I find that so crazy making like, okay, you're, you're tearing down everything that we're saying, but have you read any books? Have you dug any deeper? Have you read any of the papers? So it's weird that we're living in a culture where ignorance is lauded over doing our own research and retaining our critical thinking skills. It's really nuts. So Danny, you know, you're mentioning uh, uh, psyops uh, quite a bit uh, there, and you know, you're referencing the Tavistock Institute. A lot of people might not know what that is, but it's basically a, a psyop generating uh, <laughs> institution where they just mess with your mind. Uh, and you mentioned the flat Earth theory. You want to you want to know the craziest and funniest thing about this whole psyop about climate change, and then and then the actual flat Earthers who they're they're putting out there now, you know, and they come up with all these ridiculous arguments. So you you want to know the craziest and funniest collision of worlds that's actually going on climate change the whole science is actually flat earth theory worked out into math they've they've actually taken flat earth theory and figured out how to work that out in math and pretend that there's a physics that works for flat earth theory and that's actually how you get this greenhouse effect climate change narrative coming out of it that's how deep and crazy that psyop is it'd be funny to so I could show you some diagrams maybe I'll come on your show or something if you like and and just discuss it it's fascinating I would love that. I would love you to come on my show and discuss that because I, I'm definitely intrigued to, to know more. And one thing that I'd like to point out um, with all due respect is the phrase flat earther, right? And we, we also hear the phrase climate change denier. So there's this tactic of tacking the ER suffix onto beliefs or inquiries or voting patterns and creating a sort of demonic identity from that as a means of dehumanizing people. So this is something that I point out quite a lot is like we are wise to not use the language of those who would seek to oppress us by self-identifying with these ridiculous monikers. You know, like, is there such a thing as a flat earther? No, there are humans who question the shape of the planet. Is there such a thing as a climate change denier? No, but there are people who question climate science. But the attempt to remove people's humanity through this simple ER suffix is something for us to be aware of because it's such an integral part of their divide and conquer shenanigans. What do you think yeah. that they just want to destroy humanity entirely that like is, is that what they just want to destroy our minds like do they want to destroy us physically or they just want to like why do they get off so much on messing with our minds so much so much i mean it's kind of psychopathic right like if, if you would just be like here's some young people i want to mess with their minds until they're just brain dead and can't think a single thing i mean i guess some people are interested in doing that hey it's completely psychopathic and i think that there are multiple as you mentioned, I like to use the word psyops, but I think there are multiple psyops and agendas going on at once, right? So we have the eugenicists who want everyone dead, or not everyone, but you know, the, the useless eaters. Um, but then we have the transhumanists who want to use, who want to enslave humanity and use us as an energy source. Um, and then there's, if we're gonna go way out into, you know, mega conspiracy realm, are these even humans? You know, would humans do this to their own 
kind or is there something happening behind the scenes or an entity behind the scenes that's feeding off of these negative emotions you know i don't claim to know the answer that that's a great question danny and i'll I'll just put it to you Uh, you know we can discuss that set another time if i come on your show but i'll just put it to you so their plans with climate change are to create a solar sail. That's a big thing they want to do, create a solar sail to block out sunlight from reaching Earth. And they want to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. I mean, they want to get rid of it. So, like, where, where does that lead? I mean, has anyone ever heard of photosynthesis? What happens if you get rid of the sun and carbon dioxide? So does that feed into answering that question? What exactly is the mindset of these people? Because who would do well, that? Who would yeah, want to no, remove it, carbon dioxide? Who would want to stop photosynthesis from happening? Who would want to do right. that? Exactly. And when you take it out 10, 20, 50, 100 years, what do they want to do with this planet? You know, what is that? Where does that leave us? And that's where I go. Are these are we even dealing with humans? Because why would human beings do this to their home planet and and their children and their grandchildren? You know, again, I don't allege to know the answer. But it doesn't make sense. It doesn't serve capital L life or the well-being of life on this planet. It's it's certainly uh, puzzling yeah i like to throw in the uh, the law of unintended consequences as well because the the so-called do-gooders they, they have an agenda and they, they don't think it through I, I don't think they have an idea of the implications and uh yeah they're all trying to grab that piece of the pie aren't they as you say they form a loose alliance between themselves don't they the eugenicists the uh those the transhumanists and so again it's like uh, there's a trade-off you know, they're trying to push an agenda they have their meetings as we know they they gather at uh, the bilderberg groups the davos and all that and uh each year they try and come up with that strategy for the year of how they each further their agenda and how they can trade off against each other with each other to the detriment of the rest of us don't they this is how they operate yeah it, it it it's crazy. I mean, I definitely think there's a part of of greed and power that goes into play in this pathological push forward for you know the same way that you know like a a heroin addict will need more and more of the drug to feel the high. They need more power. They need more or money, you know, because when I, I I was one of the lead writers on Plandemic 2, Indoctrination. So when I was researching that movie and spending a lot of time with Bill Gates, it was like, I don't understand this mindset. Like, and, and the deeper that I went, yes, he comes from a family of eugenicists, but ultimately the only thing that made sense was a sort of pathological addiction to more power, more wealth, more control. And exactly as you said, very short-sighted as to the long-term effects of their ridiculous projects and plans. Yeah, I, I do. My sense is that, again, because they are not entirely on the same page, they each have their own agenda. And like politics generally, you know, you get uh, so many has the some group has the upper hand one year and then, then the next year another group merges to the fore. And, and as you say, it, it is chaotic, but, you know, the juggernaut keeps moving in the d- direction of disaster, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Have you heard of the Lifeboat Foundation? Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. I have a feeling that there's that that plays a much bigger role in what's going on than what we're dealing with. For those who don't know, the Lifeboat Foundation is kind of like the Bilderberg Group um, outcropping of the Santa Fe Institute, and it's a post-extinction transhumanist think tank. So when you look into that crazy website, it's like they're they are truly pushing for the extinction of the species, and they have all these off-planet 
plans. And a lot of it is mind boggling and has me thinking that they're operating with a different understanding of time, of time space than the rest of us. I mean, the deeper we go down these rabbit holes, we start to learn that everything we've been taught about this reality is a lie. So maybe it's not just our history and, you know, our monetary system. Maybe it's, you know, the laws of nature and, you know, these larger meta constructs that we're not understanding in the same way they're understanding them. Yeah, my own instinct, uh, Danny, is that um, the reason why, why, why we have diverse personality types, um, anybody who know, knows the Myers-Briggs uh, personality identifier knows uh, roughly 16 personality types. And again, you know, psychopathy is, it, again, people argue it's actually a useful trait to society, isn't it? Because again, if you have a psychopath in certain roles, they're very good leaders, aren't they? They're amazingly efficient at what they do. So um, yeah, nature seems to have a way of preserving these traits. You know, it's not as if that, you know, there, there is no utility to them, but it's a case of how we manage them. And again, we've lost the ability to manage them effectively, haven't we? We absolutely have. I remember speaking with a woman in the military several years ago, and she was saying how the military loves psychopaths because they're the best people to bring on to kill. Um, but I wonder, like, do other species have psychopaths? You know, are there psychopathic muskrats or dolphins? Or is it some weird anomaly that, you know, we need to kind of breed out of humanity? I'm not, really I'm seems not a biologist, to be a pro- I don't know. really seems to be a product of, uh, of the conscious mind almost, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, we're going to take another short break. This is TNT Radio. I'm Cal Fire Battalion Chief Isaac Sanchez. And normally we like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourselves and your family safe during wildfires. But given the historic impacts that the weather has had on our state this year, we would like to provide you with tips on how to keep yourself safe during extreme weather. If you reside in an area susceptible to flooding, please take the necessary steps to prepare to evacuate if advised. Make sure you've identified at least two exit routes out of your neighborhood as one of them may be blocked or flooded. As the weather develops, remember to check in on vulnerable neighbors and family members. They may need additional time to prepare for evacuation. And just like during a wildfire, if you feel unsafe, please evacuate. You don't have to wait for the order to come. Keep an emergency go bag ready in case you need to evacuate. And always remember to plan for the safety of your pets as well. If you must leave, never drive around roadblocks. It can take as little as 12 inches of water to sweep your vehicle away. And always remember the mantra, turn around, don't drown. Be aware of first responders working in highly impacted areas, especially on the roads. For additional safety tips and updates on CAL FIRE activities, follow us on social media, or visit fire.ca.gov. Hi, I'm Ryan Blaney, a third generation race car driver. And we dedicate a lot of our time to going as fast as possible. But when my grandpa was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, it was a very unexpected bump in the road for us. It's important to notice if older family members are acting differently, experiencing problems with their memory, or having trouble with routine tasks. Early detection of Alzheimer's can give your family time to explore support services, make a plan for the future, and access available treatments. If you or your family are noticing changes, it could be Alzheimer's. Talk about seeing a doctor together. Using science to debunk myths. From the pandemic to climate fraud. Thanks for listening to Sky Dragon Slaying on TNT Radio. Yeah, during the break, uh, Joe Posma, you're really getting stuck into interesting topics. They're very wide-ranging with Danny. Uh, again, Joe, uh, I didn't mean to cut you off, but uh, carry on with your discussion because I want to hear more of what you and Danny have to say. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I was just thinking, you know, what if there's a golden thread? You know, obviously we're here in this struggle. Maybe that's a patriarchal way of looking at it. But, you know, life does seem look like it's a struggle. The biological world is certainly struggling. All the animals are struggling. Uh, now we have minds. So we're unique as humans. We have minds and there's going to be a new struggle uh, that's going to be psychological in nature. So, you know, is it sort you know, can you look at all this that's happening, the psychological manip manipulation, you know, the Tafestock Institute, all this stuff that we're being abused with, with our mind, you know, that's sort of the analog for nature being your enemy, uh, not your enemy, but, you know, the, the force which you have to overcome to struggle to survive. Now we have a mind that's a whole different, you know, it's called the noosphere. I'm not sure if you heard, it, heard of that, you know, so now we exist in the noosphere. Uh, so now we have a whole different realm of what our struggle is. Our struggle is not physical, biological. Our struggle is now mental. Um, so, you know, are we kind of just having to go through this test and this struggle of psychological manipulation? Will it eventually, hopefully, lead, uh, you know, that we would overcome it and, and develop, you know, in some context, in some capacity, a new level of consciousness where we have overcome uh, being susceptible to this sort of psychological manipulation, just like biologically, we over overcome, you know, the the, the physical world, and 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 then yeah, I mean, in evolutionary terms, either we do overcome this psychological test and and world that we're being afflicted to, or or we don't. Obviously, in nature, ninety nine point nine percent of all species that have ever existed are gone. They didn't survive, or maybe they survived, but they 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 changed form. And so, you know, that's kind of like what we're going through with our mind now. You know, and language is obviously a huge part of that because how was consciousness mediated with? It's with language, right? So, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Is is that sort of, you know, just just facing up to the fact that we have to go through this, and you know, we complain about it endlessly, but maybe it's like, you know, this is actually great. It's good, and let's overcome and and win. Yes, I mean, I I'm I'm a firm believer in let's overcome this and win. <laughs> I'm animated animated by a lot of idealistic energetics. And yes, I mean, the subconscious mind is programmed first and foremost through language. You know, for anyone who's read the Bible, and I haven't read the Bible, but there is that, you know, line in Genesis, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So I believe that that was a clue that language functions as reality creation technology, as well as the primary means of programming the mind. So I don't believe it's possible to manifest a challenge that doesn't have a viable solution. You know, this is a realm of equal and opposite forces. So yes, we have manifested a huge challenge for ourselves and the solution is, is embedded in that challenge. I think the biggest piece That's for great. us to That's overcome great. is the illusion that authority is an external entity outside of us that has the right to tell us what to do. You know, we go to the root of authority. It comes from the Latin octor, which means founder or one who causes something to grow. Um, I look at authority as my God-given right to write my story however I choose. So I think once humanity takes back our empowerment, takes back our sovereign agency, and starts to use language in such a way that it empowers, inspires, creates more abundance, unifies us, where we start to understand that this is a technology that can be used to transform reality for the better in the same way that the social engineers have been using this technology to attempt to divide, enslave, and control humanity, then we will have met this challenge 
And then we will be able to move into this realm of consciousness that I hear you pointing to or speaking around, but it's like, we've dropped the ball right now on our own responsibility. And granted, there have been generations of indoctrination that have allowed this to happen, but now is the time for us to take our power back, take our agency back and start using language to turn our earthship around. Now, as a language expert, I really want to get your take then on these so-called, uh, you know, like the chat GPT language systems, which you can chat with, you know, chat GPT isn't the only one. There's lots of other ones uh, coming up now. Um, you know, I've chatted with these things. Uh, you know, it's clear. I mean, they're very clever, right? And they're very convincing. But I mean, as a human, you have something that this machine lacks and you have internal comprehension. You can detect logical contradiction. If you ask these things, they say that, yeah, they're interested in being logically consistent, but you can easily get them to logically contradict themselves. And uh, for example, chat GPT, it's, it's, uh, it's specifically trained on, you know, a set of language and it doesn't want to deviate. You ask it, you can point out a contradiction and it says, I can't change that. That's just what my answer is going to be. Other systems say that they recursively update. And so they try to update and you come back a few days later and it's kind of slid back. Um, anyway, what's your opinion on these chat GPT systems? Are these going to be useful? I mean, I think that, you know, if, if you look at the scientific materialists, possibly on the left, leftist side too, they're going to treat these things as a god, I think, and be, and just think that these things are, they're going to be like, oh, these things have access to the whole entirety of Wikipedia. Therefore, they can't be wrong. They have way more access or access to way more information than you could ever process. But that doesn't mean that they're intelligent, not that they can to detect truth and logical contradiction, does it? No, not at all. Um, I'm not a fan of AI or any of these models. And, you know, we were talking earlier about masculine, feminine energetics, right? So the masculine is moving forward, is driving, quote unquote, progress at all costs without stopping to think, is this in the highest service to humanity? Is this a, a path that we really want to continue down or are there dangers that we need to be mindful of, right? That would be the feminine that's questioning whether or not it's wise to continue to innovate, 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 just so we could say that we're innovating. So I personally think these things are incredibly dangerous. I want nothing to do with them. There's no respect for um, like the underlying frequencies of the language. There's no programming these things for tone, um, for subtlety, for nuance. You know, I've heard Tristan Harris saying, well, we can't have freedom of speech because AI can't tell the difference between tones. So we have to control speech for these reasons. I also heard on a recent No Agenda podcast when um, Adam Curry asked ChatGPT for a funny like Jew joke and it gave him a funny Jew joke and jokes are funny. And then he asked for a Muslim joke and the, the ChatGPT said, oh, I'm sorry, we're not, you know, we're trying to be, we don't want to be culturally insensitive or whatnot. So it's being programmed to control speech. Um, 
I think these things are the downfall of humanity. I actually got kicked out of my junior high because I refused to take the computer class. I was like, no, these are the downfall of humanity. I want nothing to do with them. I think this is a very, very, very dangerous road for us to go down. Why do we need a machine to give us access to everything that Wikipedia, which itself is a lot of fake news and propaganda, is telling us is true. Like, is it not enough to have the internet at our disposal? Have we gotten so lazy that we can't do our own searches? We can't sift through material ourselves. It's like, how dumb do we want the species to get while giving so much of our power away to these machines that don't have sentience or compassion? I'm not into them. No, I don't blame you. Let me check, check my own thoughts in about uh, AI. I mean, I'm, again, my opinion's formative. I'm still learning. I, I, like Joe, I've played around with the chat, chat GPT thing, and I am familiar with how it works. And my, my sense is it's like getting in a dull conversation with the quiz master or the general knowledge expert. You can, it, it's full of facts, but you don't really have anything deep and meaningful. There's no spiritual sense. There, there's no connection. And I, and I feel that... Uh, I think we're kind of on the right course here when we kind of identify this as just a tool we have to control and not you know, revere it, as you say. The, the, the problem is that, uh, as Joe says, the uh, the threat is some people on the left who like authority would give the the, the AI the authority to pretty much do everything, and uh, we can't do that, can we? <laughs> No, we can't. I mean, for those of us, I think all of us on this call are old enough to remember analog life when there was customer service, when there was a work ethic to actually help the customers who are keeping our businesses up. These days, now the the excuse is the computer won't let me. No, I can't do that. The computer doesn't give me that option. I was checking out at some store and the computer went down and the young woman behind the cash register was like a deer in the headlights, had no math skills to figure out how to charge me, how to give me change. We're crippling humanity with this increasing dependence on these machines. We're getting dumber and dumber. And I really feel like we would be wise to pull way back from this AI path and steer ourselves in a completely different direction as quickly as possible. Well, yeah, you have the argument that, oh, this is progress and all progress is good. But on the other hand, you know, it, it's really, I'm, I'm starting to side with the Luddites almost. And it's like, yeah, but we don't have to do this. We don't have to progress this way. People say, it's, oh, it's inevitable evolution. It's like, no, we're conscious humans. We can choose how we want to live. And, and, and in fact, maybe we should choose how to live, which, you know, requires and augments human creativity the most. And so just go back in history and look, what were the periods in history where you had the, the the most massive expansions of human consciousness and that was like you know ancient or classical greece or the renaissance period so we weren't living with much technology but man you read what those people were writing and thinking they're so brilliant like the classical greeks and the renaissance philosophers they're so so ridiculously intelligent you know far more intelligent people think well we're more intelligent now because we can build a smartphone they couldn't build a smartphone back then it's like that's not intelligent being able to build a, a smartphone is is not an indication of intelligence you know but you know that's the whole problem with scientific materialism it's totally redefined what intelligence is they think having access to facts is intelligence no being able to think about the facts and detect what is true and what's not true is what intelligence is isn't it a hundred percent i totally agree and it's like 
you know, you, I, I go out into the world and, you know, waiting at the DMV or waiting for my food at a restaurant and I'm watching, I don't personally bring a cell phone with me out into the world. Everyone is sitting there on these things. There's no more tolerance for boredom, for spaciousness, for nothingness. And that is where novelty comes. If we don't have that spaciousness of nothingness to allow, you know, the invisible realms to play, to allow ourselves to think, to imagine, like that type of human ingenuity is going to be lost. We see it affecting relationships, you know, in a negative way. We see it affecting the attention span in a negative way. And I completely agree with you, Joe. It's that, and this is where we go back to like the imbalance between the masculine and the feminine. It's the masculine that says we have to keep driving forward, 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 and mislabel that progress. It's the capital F feminine that comes in and says, wait, 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 hold up. Is this where we want to go as humanity? Is this really what's best for us? And just because we can do something doesn't mean that it's in our best interest to do that thing. And just that question alone, I don't see being considered in the larger conversation that these psychopathic elites are driving forward. I recommend that people watch or rewatch the movie Idiocracy because that's basically we're basically almost there, but we're gonna get there uh, pretty quickly if you're uh, familiar with that movie at all. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, clear, cancel, delete. No, no disrespect. Um, we don't have to get there quickly. And this is where I see the language manipulation in the larger AI conversation. You will hear people who are driving that forward, people, um, you know, podcasters, pundits, whatnot, saying it's going to happen. We don't have a choice, right? So they're using language to convince us that it's too late to pull this train back. That is a total lie. That is not true. Just because a few entities have a plan to take us somewhere doesn't mean that we have to go along with it, doesn't mean that it's a done deal. But that's all how they're using language to manipulate us by claiming that it's already been decided, that we don't have any power, that we don't have a choice. All of that is so false. Yeah. You made me think of the term precautionary principle there, because again, I think that that's probably a term that you could say was a feminine term. Um, based on what you're saying, it, the masculine ideal to push, 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 progress, progress. Uh, again, the cautionary word is from the cautionary principle, you know, take take reflection, pause and think carefully. Um, do, you, do you think that's applicable then? A hundred percent. And I thank you for cluing me into to a phrase, the cautionary principle. Precautionary, exactly. yeah. Precautionary principle, yes, exactly. And this is where, again, like, and when I say masculine, feminine, I'm not talking about embodied men and women, but where we need a melding of the both. Great. It's wonderful that there's an aspect of our energetic polarities that are driving us forward technologically. And it's beautiful to bring in, you know, to the same um, extent, that precautionary principle that's going to always be asking, is this our wisest move? I mean, this is a very unpopular opinion, but we look at the allocation of resources, research, genius on this planet. Look how much attention is going into like the gender reassignment industry. Think of how much creative energy could be put into um, providing clean water and food to the entire planet. Like, why is that not being prioritized over a man having the sides of his jawbone shaved off 
to look more like a woman. Do you know, like, I feel like the precautionary principle would have us prioritizing what's going to serve the greatest good at a fundamental level. And then once all that has been dialed in, then we can go into these crazy places. Maybe if we decide that's best use of our genius and our resources on this planet. Yeah, I'd like to um, make the point that um, when we have so many diverse options, so many ways of doing things, and you mentioned um, personal sovereignty, again, it's always uh, a tug of war, isn't it, between personal sovereignty, the person who wants to get their jaw shaved, you know, if it's their money, it's the, if their, their resources, that's one thing, and all well and good. But again, if, the, if it's the government, if it's the taxpayer providing that, then it, as a community, we should have the option to say, well, hold on. We don't consent to that. We we definitely want to re refigure that and re you know reanalyze and uh, reprioritize. So again, I think partly in what you're intimating is there's a a new debate to be had about the role of government and and the role of the individual in relation to government. Absolutely, and. I'm always going to side with personal sovereignty, right? So if someone wants to have gender reassignment surgery, shave their face, all of those things, Godspeed. Um, I'm just looking at how we're allocating our resources. You know, we have this ridiculous weaponized conversation around quote unquote privilege. Uh, Danny, I hate to interrupt you. Sorry, so sorry to interrupt you, but we've come right to the end of the show. It's a fascinating conversation. I do hope that uh, you and Joe can arrange to go for Joe to go on your show. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, a pleasure to have you on the show, Danny. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Danny.